I'm Marko Kovic and you're listening to the European Skeptics Podcast, the real ESP experience. You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show in support of European-level actions within the skeptical movement. The ESP is run by individuals representing different skeptical groups from across the continent. This is episode 118, and today I am your host, Pontus Böckmann, and joining me for the show is my co-host, Jelena Levin. Hey, San, hey, San. Всем привет. Hello. We yeah. lost Andras again. No, Andres, we don't have him. Yeah, we I, don't have Andres. He's busy out winning an election or something. I, I don't know. He's very busy at the moment. But we will uh, crack on anyway. We have a great interview t- for you today. Yes. We just hung up on a, an interview with uh, Marko Kovic, who is the former president of Skeptica Schweiz. That's the uh, skeptics organization in, in Switzerland. A little bit maybe different from other interviews. What do you say, Elena? Yeah, think it's a necessary conversation and we should be having these discussions more often and after listening to this interview hopefully some of you will agree uh listen dear listeners and um we need to be more uh, self-aware as a movement and yeah. look at ourselves and see what's working what's not working how to fix what's not working how to be better i hope you will enjoy it um as much as we did um it's challenging it was a little bit challenging a little bit food for thought and i think let's keep the conversation going so let's go over and listen to that interview now on every other episode we usually interview someone who is interesting from a skeptical point of view either by representing an organization of a certain european country or a project stretching across borders and this time we have here with us a social science researcher marka kovic former president of the Swiss skeptical organization Skeptica Schweiz and co-founder and president of the think tank called Zurich Institute of Public Affairs Research. He is also a host of German-speaking skeptical podcast Skeptisch. And we actually already had Marco on the show once before. It was episode 17 back in the days, probably about two years ago. And this time he is here with us to discuss his latest article that he published uh, at the end of last month called Some Problems of the Skeptic Movement. Um, the article was published on the website of the Skeptica Schweiz. Marco, thank you so much for coming on the show again, and it's great to have you back. Thank you so much for having me. Hi. Right, well, <laughs> the, the name of the article is pretty, well, I was going to say controversial, but it's not really controversial controversial but it's a little bit you know zingy and um we're gonna jump right into it um so you wrote this um article not long after you left uh your post as a president of swiss skeptic organization the the skeptic rights i mentioned earlier 
And of course, in that article, um, and I uh, would highly recommend to everybody who is interested to go onto that website, we'll link it and read it. Um, you've raised several problems that, uh, as you see them, uh, that the uh, skeptic movement faces. In fact, uh, there is a question of whether we can even call ourselves skeptical move- movement uh, to begin with. And I guess you start the article by saying that there is a problem the basic problem of defining the skepticism and what it actually is. Do you want to just um, start start off with that and sort of uh, tell us uh, your, your thoughts in, in, about that? Yeah, so that's, I think, one of the points that some people were almost offended by. So, you know, we're all skeptics. We know what skepticism is. We, we do the things we do because we believe in them. And when somebody comes along and says, hey, what, what exactly do you mean? Are you sure you even know what you mean? That's, you know, that's hefty stuff, that's heavy stuff. But I think that's one of the things that I wonder myself, you know, what what is it exactly and what is the best way of thinking about it? And I'm not sure whether the skeptical movement, let's call it a movement for the time being, you know, is really sure what what it is they are doing. And I, I'm under the impression that a lot of people in this movement have, you know, slightly different ideas, but maybe those slightly different ideas can lead to very different outcomes. I think I think you've mentioned definition of skepticism by a couple of different people. So there was Mark, Michael Shermer, Cal Sagan, and a couple of other, uh, other places. And although you, you did highlight the differences, I can st- still see there's commonalities in those definitions. And um, I don't know if the fact that we do- haven't defined the skepticism stopped people from doing good work. I think you can still do good work without having high-level phys- philosophical discussions about, you know, basic things you think or you believe. But at the same time, I think that having a debate about this, having a discussion about this, having, you know, this this argument about this, what is it that we do and why do we do it and what might it not be, I think that will make it easier to do the work even better. So you also claim that that skeptics don't know what they're doing and uh, or what they should be doing uh, or how they should be doing it. So w- would you elaborate a little bit on that? And, and uh, you know, do you also have any recommendations on on the point? So that's also one of the things that I, you know, reflected about myself about the work I did, and I still do. So I didn't left. I didn't leave the Swiss skeptics. So it's not like I'm not a skeptic anymore. But I was wondering, you know, you do things for a couple of years and then you look back and take stock and what what have I achieved? What have we achieved and what could have been done differently? And I think that in our case, we did a lot of things because we liked them, because we just thought in the heat of the moment, yeah, that's cool, let's do it. But we didn't have a clear strategy, to be honest. Hmm. And when I look around, I think that strategies matter but they are lacking mostly Mm. and that's why i thought well thinking about the goals we want to achieve so what exactly do we want to achieve is very important because you can't do everything and maybe knowing what is more important to you and why it might be more important might be a good thing to do a good thing to talk about in order to just be as effective as possible Mm. have more impact yeah. yeah, I actually agree with that. I mean, if you don't set up real goals with what you're doing, it's very, mm. very difficult to see if you even you don't you can't you can't even measure if you're doing the right thing because you don't know what exactly. your what direction. And you're not alone 
on 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 um, bringing this forward we there was an article by by Kirill Alfarov not too long ago i i guess you've read that but we yes. also had before that i think Eran Sergev delivered a very good uh, speech at uh, the European Skeptics Congress where he de- he didn't it touched on this because he said it's very important that you do have goals ambitions and, direction, yeah. and a plan before you start working because otherwise you don't know if you're going towards the same direction yeah this this broadness of the goal is a very good point and um it's it's some it's sometimes very hard to focus as well because you do want to you see all these little like false claims and and, and things that go wrong and and etc bad reporting and you want to fix it all but you can't and you end up spending your energy um but not achieving much so mm-hmm. it's um I definitely agree with that. And I guess um, in in the process of writing this article, you have mentioned maybe some of the organizations that were more successful at doing that and focusing than others. For example, you know, the Nightingale Col- um, Good Thinking Society, you have mentioned them, and they mm-hmm. doing incredible work here in, in, in England. Um, and their focus is homeopathy f- funded by our uh, National Health Service. I want to just also mention another couple of organizations that we thought of when, when after reading the article, I was thinking, yeah, there are actually a few more. So the guerrilla skepticism on Wikipedia, one of the most, I'd say, internationally successful collaborations where you see the result of their work on Wikipedia. I know that Australian skeptics, that as Pontus said, they've been very successful in being uh, effective as well in their, in their field. But we'll, yeah, there's not enough of that, I guess, going mm-hmm. on. And the thing that I think we need is not necessarily just defining top-down, these are the things we have to do and you can't do anything else, but having some kind of you know, conceptual framework or, or, or philosophical idea about how to prioritize it all. So mm. there's so many things you can do and how do we decide what might be more important and what might be less important. Mm. So having the tools to make these decisions, and those are not easy decisions, that's something that I believe we should develop. Yeah. Do you have any ideas on how to go about this? Because the, the skeptical movement is a very fragmented movement. It's a lot of mm-hmm. grassroots mm-hmm. Uh, initiatives and stuff. In what forum do we take this discussion? So that's that's very tough. So do we do it like openly and with as many people as possible at once? Mm. inclusive and open and transparent or do you need a few people or a few organizations to do the groundwork and then others follow i think the second route might be more realistic i think if you take the first route you are in danger of never getting anywhere because of so many voices being heard yes yes on the other hand if you take a few people or a few organizations to lead you have the 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 risk that others will feel well you didn't ask us what to do so we are going we're not going with you we're doing something else um so i guess um one of the issues that you also talked about and which is very close to our heart and every other skeptic organization that is uh, based on the volunteers work uh, is money issue how do we bring the best quality people into the skeptics movement to do the job um professional job and do it well, how do we monetize it? Because it's so hard, isn't it? I mean, it's great. You can put one conference a year, get great speakers, and that'll be that. But it doesn't sustain that organization throughout the year. And, and as mm-hmm. I know a lot of organizations uh, that I know of and heard and uh, heard of, they do struggle with that. And um, 
it, 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 and that kind of holds them back a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, do you, have you got any kind of thoughts around that? I believe that the first step is to decide, yes, we do want monetization. We do want funding. Because that's, you know, curiously, one of the discussions we had at the Swiss Skeptics for some time, do we want to professionalize or not? Right. A lot of people feel like it's something you do in your free time. It's a hobby. It's it's a passion. But once money comes into it, it's, it changes. It's different. And some people don't like the idea of that. It's a, but, it's a good point, I guess. Uh, for me, I, I know that, okay, there are dangers about monetizing this movement and making it for profit. Of course, there are, um, and it has to be regulated. But I think there's going to be so much more productivity and, and um, effectiveness that mm-hmm. this movement can bring once it's... We, we can look at the Good Thinking Society because they have a few people who are actually working with this full time yeah. and mm. they make things happen. So mm. that shows that if you could really gather resources and, and not a lot of resources, you get much more done. Exactly. Yeah. That's what I also think. So if you have, yeah. let's say, five people in an organization in a country that can really work for a living for some skeptical cause, you can do so many things. Yeah, absolutely. And we've got real good examples. We can say, look, it works. Monetizing the skeptic organization really works. It delivers results. In fact, it helps all the other problems, you know, because once you have money, you go, what are we going to do with this amount of money? How are we going to spend it if, as effective as possible? We're looking for sponsors. <laughs> yeah, we're looking for sponsors. Yeah, that's, that's a great example. Time. I mean, if you guys could do this for a living... That, yeah. that would be great, right? It wouldn't well, be a bad thing. It would no. be a good I th- I thing. I think Andres dreams about doing this for the living, you know, just yeah. having this kind of platform and, and being paid. But it's it's hard. It's very yeah. hard. Yeah. So I think that's exactly the kind of discussion we need to have. So how do we fund this movement or how do we fund specific projects, organizations and specific goals? Yeah. So I don't have any, you know, clear and f- final ideas about that but mm. having this discussion having this debate and really trying things trying to realize or to to achieve things that's what what we need i think yeah w- one way of getting some f- kind of funding is to get a bigger uh, base actually reaching out and g- building an organization with lots of members then they don't have mm-hmm. to pay a lot every year mm-hmm. but it can still be uh, some money i mean we have in, in the swedish skeptics we have about 2800 members and they all pay about 25 euros per head it's not a lot of money per person but actually it's enough to keep uh, the the organization going quite well are you employing anybody pontus no no we're not Okay. Well, I was thinking the other, of course, way to, to uh, sponsor the, the skeptics organization is by getting somebody who is wealthy enough to, to be able to provide these resources, like in, in, in case of Good Society, the Simon Singh supports them, um, and get those people who are interested in promoting these causes. Maybe we could get Elon Musk on our side. <laughs> <laughs> that, that would solve the money problem in one go, I think, if you sure. really believed in us. That's not a bad idea, actually, because that's one of the business models you see in the charitable world in the in the non-profit world yeah. so you can have membership membership a membership uh, business model so many people pay a little money you can have a uh, sponsorship by let's say state or government agencies or you can have we could call them like what, what would you call them in a nice way rich and and concerned citizens uh, sponsors <laughs> maybe sponsors I don't know. yeah yeah Sponsors, yeah. It's, um, I've worked for a couple of charity organizations and they run on well, mostly goodwill of people who can afford to support those, you know. Okay. 
there's another problem you're touching on, and that's about sharing the expertise among the skeptical organizations. Can you can you elaborate a little bit on that? Well, that's something that you guys think are experts in. So there's a lot of... Yeah, well, well, then we're really in trouble, I think. <laughs> well, no, I think this is one of the reasons why uh, Andres started this podcast in the first place, because he looked around Europe and nobody ever talks to anyone. <laughs> yeah, so there's this, this huge fragmentation problem. There's a lot of people who are interested in similar things and do similar things and how do you get them to, you know, communicate, collaborate or just exchange ideas. Because I think right now there's a lot of inefficiency probably in the movement. Mm. So many people do the things they do and things are being done five, six, seven, ten times. So in economic terms, you will call this transaction costs. How do you lower transaction costs? And I think one of the ways is really building some kind of identity. That's one of the things I like about or love about your podcast. So you you do a, a great podcast, you put in work, and what it does is it it gives people in Europe, skeptics in Europe, a sense of belonging. And that's, I think, also part of the equation, feeling like you're part of something. And doing that isn't easy. Well, no. No, we've noticed. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. but I'm thinking then, as me being a board member of EXO, the European Council of Skeptical Organizations, mm-hmm. Do you have any ideas for what we can do? And I can say that we are meeting virtually over Skype and and such on a regular basis. But a little bit of a problem is that all of us in the uh, board are also involved in local activity. So Mm. being doing something on an international basis as well becomes, you know, it's a double burden, if you will. We want to do it, but it's hard to find Mm. the time. So I think if you look at the general landscape of international cooperation again money is is an issue as you say it's it's difficult bringing people together from different countries and in this case it's double difficult because most people in the skeptic movement and on the exo board are not professional skeptics so they have other things to do i think if there was a little bit more funding to for example have travel grants so being able to bring people together on a regular basis that would change a lot so just having people physically meet and not just once every couple of years or via Skype, but just on a regular basis and doing things that then percolate down into the member countries so that there's a feeling, okay, there's this cool international organization, they are doing things and we are noticing those things. Mm. But how exactly that should be done? I don't think it's easy. No, we we do have the European uh, Skeptics Congress yeah. every second year, uh, but and it, it's a big energizer. I feel for everybody mm-hmm. who goes there, but then you know it wears off after a couple yeah. of weeks, and we don't. Maybe we should be better at not giving assignments, but trying to find a common project that we can continue to work with mm-hmm. between those uh, congresses. Do you think that the European Skeptics Congress is effective? Well, it's been debated because it is built today as a forum for the for the skeptical organizations to meet. Uh, and it's been debated whether that's too narrow. Maybe we should be, be more inclusive and try to make it like a science festival or things like that. And more like maybe like QED or, or, or other conferences. But on the other hand, we do have QED already. And we do want to keep the focus on the local organizations as well because we want to encourage them to do more 
so that's the debate. I don't know the answer. I think I think it hasn't been as effective as it could be, but hopefully there. Well, I can see that there, there's some movement and some changes now happening. Correct me if I'm wrong, Pontus, but I think there's a bit of a more more of a direction now. Well, it, it, it's too early to say, but we do have a new board since this autumn, and uh, what I can see is that we are talking more often mm. to each other. Whether that we can make that into something uh, tangible results, that's still to be seen. But at least we're talking a little bit more now than we did uh, before, I think. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think this kind of brings to mind uh, something that w- we've mentioned in the past, and, I, and I'm sure it can be applied to many other situations. But very often when you talk about bringing skeptics together and doing something something together, it's like herding cats, everybody doing their own thing. And it's hard to get everybody organized to do their, you know, something together. And it's um, it will take a very strong leader. <laughs> yeah. But it's also part of the charm of the skeptical movement that you do have all of this. The fragmentation mm. is not just bad. It's also good because it makes people feel that they are doing something special, something that nobody else is doing. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't have the answer. So something that has been in the news recently, Marco, and we have mentioned uh, on our podcast uh, last time or a couple of episodes ago, about some of the skeptic stars that been accused in their personal life uh, in a behavior that was less than acceptable. And um, these then affected um, the way that people perceive sometimes the skeptic movement. So um, these faults and and these uh, failings of the skeptical stars, like, like Lawrence Krauss, I'm talking about in this particular instance, then cast bad light on the movement itself. And um, I don't, I don't want to say that I disagree with it completely because, of course, you you can say, oh, you know, he's skeptic, look how bad he is, therefore skeptic movement is bad. But I think as a skeptic movement, we should be also better at defending our position and also condemning this kind of behavior and being strong on our own. Can, can you just talk a little bit about that? I think you're absolutely right. So we should be able to criticize people who deserve criticism and not just depend on them and rely on them to be good people, morally sound people. The problem is simply, in my opinion, public perception. Mm. So we can have this debate right now and say we we condemn the actions of Lawrence Lawrence Krauss and of other people who behave in uh, reprehensible ways. But what the general public perceives is here's a guy who is sort of a skeptic, that's what he says, and uh, he's super important, apparently. Everybody's talking about him at all of the conferences, like promote him, and he's a big star. So he's a weird person, he's done bad things, and apparently this movement doesn't care about it, so oh, something isn't right. That's that's what I worry about. When you have these kinds of, I don't know, star culture phenomena, people are people and some people are bad people. So that's that's the way it is. Just to take it in a more abstract sense, not talk about people, but just it's about risk management. So if very few people have a lot of impact on the public perception of this movement of that the, the prospects of achieving goals, that's just risky. Mm. But what opinion. do you propose, Marco? What, what do you propose that the movement does in ideal world? Of course, you know. So I think, do we need to think of these conferences as venues for these skeptical stars. Is that necessary? Mm. That's not to say that they don't 
do good work and that they don't talk about important things. They do, but it's maybe time to think about the tactics of these kinds of conferences. So what kind of goals we want to achieve and how effective, how effectively do, do we achieve them with the means that we use? And maybe it's time to think about issues if we want to continue to do conferences and not about people, not about stars. Mm. And I realize it's more difficult to attract people when you don't have star power. So it's not super easy. Yeah, I, th I think it's a, it's a catch-22, isn't it? You, you want to put a conference, like, for example, QED, uh, with good speakers, and they do bring a lot of speakers that I have never heard of, but in order to sell tickets, they have to have one or two stars. Yeah. But it's a good point uh, to bring attention to people who actually do good work in that field that we are interested in or the problem, mm -hmm. that where there's a problem, rather than bring stars. The, the, the only issue is, of course... Stars are easily recognizable and you can then attract the crowd that maybe wouldn't even look at the event in mm -hmm. the first place. Yeah, and it, it, we should remember also that the people that we in our small little movement maybe regard as stars like Steve Novella or uh, Richard Wiseman and, and Deborah Hyde, you know, people outside the movement have never heard of them. So, so But we... I think Marco talks about the ones that people do. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. No, I I agree. So there yeah. are a couple of of big stars that are yeah. have reached out uh, outside. Uh, mostly, I think in the atheist movement, but it's very, very Ooh, related. But I I think we should not be afraid to say, okay, if if a person does not behave or 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 have you know really unacceptable uh, points of views on things. Let's not invite that person to our skeptical congresses or conferences because there are so many people standing in line actually waiting to be... Waiting to be given voice to, yeah. Yes, yeah, some of us who's been around for a, a while, we know these people. We know that there are people who are not uh, maybe recognized so much, but they can really uh, become these new stars, if you will. I think there's plenty of uh, stars to be created <laughs> so mm. let's not be afraid to discard one or two on the way if they if they don't you know yeah i, I think generally people are not good at dealing with that kind of thing and i mean i know this is completely different but um the, the example of the um, uh, catholic church comes to mind but yeah oh yeah yeah, yeah. yeah well, but hey, well, look at Catholic Church still get, keeps going strong. I don't know. Yeah, maybe maybe we shouldn't kick those people out. Maybe they make the movement grow. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> God. <laughs> or or we should start a religion. That's always the best uh, reply. Well, but yes, Elrond Hubbard had a good idea about that. <laughs> if you want to make money, yeah, that will actually tick some of our boxes. Yeah. So so. <laughs> Getting into this, this is about a little bit about morality and ethics, but also, so you touched about on on morality and also politics in in your article. So, can you talk a little bit about that? So, I think this this recent scandal or scandals about these prominent people in the skeptic movement have maybe showed failings of those people, but I think they have also scratched a little bit on the surface of the movement. And I'm not sure that what's underneath the surface is always very nice. And this sounds harsh, but I think that's a debate that's just coming and needs to happen. No, I totally agree. And and actually, you don't have to go far. Sorry, I'm interrupting. But um, if you read any common boards 
of of the, the topics that we're talking about the the sexual abuse scandals uh you can see the people coming out with all sorts of fallacies that we we as skeptics should be good at identifying and biases that we should be good at avoiding and yet we're falling into our own trap over and over again only because we are so attached and so emotionally and otherwise invested in that person and it's very strange it's like a blind spot almost yeah is that what you're thinking yeah. about marco is or do you have other examples exactly that's that's exactly it so i think i can't quantify it but there's a large portion of the skeptic movement that has these kinds of let's call them emotional moral responses in a way that that are first as you say in a not logically sound not a good argument but they are also sort of in the camp of almost the alt-right i'd say so whenever you talk about things like sexual harassment you just what do they call them social social justice warriors or you're mm-hmm. a yeah, yeah, femi- yeah. feminazi whatever <laughs> a really low level of debate and that's that's worrisome to me so on one hand all these skeptics say, well, we, we, cherry, we cherish logic and sound arguments and, and good reasoning. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to moral problems, it's like they do exactly the opposite. It's purely a confirmation bias. It's ad hominem attacks. It's just mm-hmm. vilification of other people. It's tribalism. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think this, this debate is overdue. Yes. It is, deba- it is overdue, but it's, it's extremely hard to be had in uh, any sort of calm setting where people are not emotionally charged i i don't even know how that would look like you know because people just get overheated and they go and pound their keyboards and the good news i think in my experience is that people who really are you know sitting on the boards uh, organizing these conferences when you talk to them they are in the right place it's uh, the people uh, I wouldn't. I don't want to say below because, but but you know, people who are not maybe as mature in the skepticism, perhaps, or maybe they're just stuck in in this. Uh, uh, maybe they are old white men, and we talk. We could talk about that as well because the diversity in the movement is not uh, what it should be. What do you say about yeah. that, Marco? Yeah, I think it's a lot of old white men, but also a lot of young white men. <laughs> yeah. Okay. The, 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 the trajectory continues. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's not promising. And I think it's well, we do have like some evidence about the alt right movement, and it's a lot of young white males who feel, in a way, threatened by by the changes that are taking place. So the world is is simply not going to be the same as it was fifty years ago, and they are finding people who promote ideas that they like in this moral kind of sense and i think that there's an overlap between these again i'll just say alt-right maybe that's not the best expression so i'm generalizing a bit so it's a difficult discussion but i mean just to start it's mostly like an online parallel not a universe but a public sphere where those people see the world through a specific lens so it is often atheist and it's often liberalist in a way but it's also morally regressive uh, it's it's a worldview where you cherish authority where you cherish hierarchy where you think that you know some things should be the way they were you shouldn't question them but 
the thing that that's happening now is in my opinion very emotional and i think and i'm going to do a bit of research on that uh we're planning a study there's an overlap in the youtube sphere between popular skepticism and skeptics and these kind of regressive moral philosophers quote unquote Mm. and it's a very complex thing that's going on right now i think uh, but how, but Marco, have you thought of how we could or one could um, di- diversify the, the skeptic movement a little bit more to attract those other groups that that kind of were almost left out? So I think first of all, it's not just going to happen. So you have to act- actively think about it and do something about it. And again, I think what needs to happen is some kind of work by organizations by few people who come up with ideas and express those ideas so it sounds really stupid in a way but just sometimes writing things down and making them public is very powerful so even though in skeptical organizations in our organization as well people have these moral ideas of inclusion of just you know sound morality we don't talk about it it's not available publicly Mm. and just making these ideas and perspectives available saying that's the way we see it and let's talk about it that would be a great first step in my opinion yeah well just before the recording i was talking to sponsors and i say i'm saying to him about the diversity problem every time we go to a conference or there's an event and i look around there's maybe two three four people of color there is literally no diversity in terms of that and you know majority white male and uh, the, the 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 female population is growing i think yeah and that's a start but i think we should make sure that we not by accident reaffirm this white male mm. you know stamp of the of the movement so marka i guess is skeptic movement necessary as a whole um is there hope well i think there's always hope but i mean there's always hope if you believe that there should be hope so that's I don't trust my hope too much. <laughs> but think from a more objective and, and distance point of view, I do think the skeptic, skeptical movement is is necessary because the things that skeptics are trying to do is not being done by other people. So maybe it's not going to be in the future about debunking this and that, about reacting to uh, the latest quack. Maybe the things we do and the ways in which we do them will change but i think it will improve and we we will be more effective because right now we aren't that's my takeaway so things again i'm a little bit hesitant because i don't want to offend people and belittle their work because that's not the idea but all of the energy that we are putting into this isn't resulting in tangible things or to a degree it is but it isn't resulting in in concrete outcomes as much as it could and should. And I think that the thing I wanted to, like the debate or the provocation I wanted to start with my article is maybe exactly the thing we're doing right now. We are are not just doing what skeptics usually do, look at the world and criticize things, but just a little bit of introspection, look at ourselves and think about ourselves. Yeah. And it's the hardest thing to do, isn't it, uh, quite often? I guess that's a good note to end on. We, We do... 
need to change. And uh, I agree on some of the points that you made um, and be better. Um, so I know you're no longer president of Skeptica Schweiz, but uh, I know you're going to be doing your, your part uh, in Skeptic Movement. And it's always interesting to see, to hear your opinion on things because you've been in, in it for, for a long time and you obviously put a lot of thought into it um, and thinking about things that a lot of us don't want to think about. We just want to feel good. We just like actually hipsters. But yeah. like, <laughs> we're gonna go to we wanna go to the conferences and feel good. <laughs> yeah. um, but somebody has to have these conversations and start those, and uh, we yeah we do our part in maybe continuing those, I guess, with our guests in the future. What do you think, Pontus? Yeah, I think so. Absolutely. I, I think, you know, hope is not a strategy. We talked about hope before. but So <laughs> yeah. we need to have a better strategy than just hoping that things goes away. We need to work on this. And the first step is to try to analyze mm. what the problems are. And I think you've you've started that, Marco, a bit. And also Kirill Alfarov and, and, and a few others. So I, th- I think it's maybe it's a sign of maturity in the skeptic movement that we're starting to talk about these things. Let's look at it that way. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Marco. Thanks again for having me. Thanks a lot, Marco. I hope it uh, doesn't take two years before the next time. (laughs) 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 Goodbye. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hi, this is Brian Dunning with Skeptoid Media. I only have one brief thing to tell you today. Finally, a feature documentary film in the theaters about scientists who get misrepresented in the media. A lot of us here in the club get frustrated by the so-called science and history networks on television, by the way they present false information to be sensational at the expense of real science. One of their favorite tricks is to have trusted scientists on as experts, but then they edit them out of context or twist their words to make it sound like they're promoting some sensational nonsense. But this is way more widespread than you know. It is not just limited to the pseudoscience and pseudo-history channels. Skeptoid Media is executive producing a new feature film, and you want to watch the teaser for it right now. ScienceFriction.tv You're going to want to share this on your social media and tell everyone you know to watch this teaser right now. This is such an important problem today. And most people seem scarcely aware that the problem exists. They just go on watching their favorite science networks and have no idea that they're watching sensationalized hooey, totally unaware that real scientists are suffering real consequences at the hands of unscrupulous producers. ScienceFriction.tv is being directed by Emery Emery of The Aristocrats. It's written and presented by yours truly and executive produced by Skeptoid Media. We just finished the award-winning film Principles of Curiosity. We are crowdfunding the initial production of Science Friction. It even provides a way for you well-heeled types to buy your way into the film industry with an executive producer or associate producer credit for a large donation. Skeptoid Media is a 501c3 nonprofit. So all donations toward this production are tax-deductible for U.S. taxpayers. So, folks, get your year-end deductions in, in probably the most useful way you ever have. Science Friction. It's good for the world. Come to sciencefriction.tv and watch the teaser video now.
so that was the interview with uh, Marco. It was, uh, I think, I, I don't know how challenging it is, but it's it's good to to review what we're doing sometimes and and not uh, you know keep saying everything is great when maybe it's not. And I think his point of having a clear goal with what we're trying to do as a skept as skeptics uh, uh, is a very good point. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and please let us know your views, your your thoughts on it. Um, you can always email us. Our email address is info at theesp.eu. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at espodcast underscore you. And uh, if you go on Facebook and like us there, you can follow us and uh, send us direct message. Also, we've got a website. It's theesp.eu where you can uh, contact us directly. You can get in touch on this on or any other topics, really. Um, please uh, let us know what you think, your feedback, your ideas, etc. Uh, if you get our podcast via iTunes, uh, please leave a nice review. It helps us to spread the word. And please, when you're on the we uh, website, please look at the events in Europe page as well, where you can see how much the Skeptic Movement actually is doing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, also what we mentioned in the in the actual interview was that sometimes funding is a problem so if you want to fix that problem too you can go to patreon slash the esp and pledge uh, a dollar or two per per episode uh, that would be much appreciated and maybe solve some of that, that problems yeah I believe there is a donate button on the website, so yes, that's also an do, easy way. If you want to do a one-time donation via pay PayPal, that's also fine, of course. Yeah. And I guess that's a wrap for today. We're going to come back next week with Andrush this time, hopefully. We'll definitely do our best to get him on the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's extra busy living his new political life. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks a lot. It's been great, the great interview. And uh, until next time, everybody. Yeah. Bye-bye for now. And paka paka. Paka paka. <laughs> paka paka. Hey, do. <laughs> This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments, or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu, and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. oh, before Jelena goes to sleep Okay, sorry, come on, just crack on uh, So, with Skeptical Schweitz, who is the... That, that's the skeptical... That's the skeptical... <laughs> Swi uh, uh, I, I, Switzerland I, I, I'll say it again Yeah <laughs>